Look at you beautiful people. You lost an hour of sleep, but you are here and you are ready and you are looking good. Losing an hour of sleep is, it, it's a factor. It is, it's a factor. Uh, the SEAL team, our setup team, they lost an hour of sleep and they were still here at 6.30 this morning setting up all of this for us to do what we do. Isn't that awesome? <clears throat> and some of you still need to be on the SEAL team. Let's be honest. There's some of you that you're never going to like try out for the Navy SEALs and, and have like chain wrapped around you and tossed into a pool. You're not doing that. I would tap out long before that test came my way, but this is a way that you can feel strong. You can be a part of our SEAL team, and just once every three weeks, it's so easy, once every three weeks, show up, help set this up, do what we do. We don't have that much longer, probably, to be in this kind of a situation. I believe that God's going to bring us this next box, wherever it is in the near future, and so our, our window is limited. You can be a Navy SEAL for our church. Just... I don't know for how much longer, so sign up, join, join that team. Uh, I, I just don't want you to miss that. Yeah, I don't want you to miss that, that privilege, that ability. I want to draw you a circle this morning. I was not an art major in college. I was a business communication major, so, um, you know, bear with me. But, but we're going to pretend that this is a throne, okay? That's a throne, and, and on this throne is a king. That's a king, okay? <laughs> I know some of you in the back, you have a hard time seeing that, so that's, that's about as good as it's going to get right now. What do you know about a king on a throne? They, they protect themselves, right? This king is protected. There are people around them that protect them. They have cupbearers, right, that even taste their taste their wine before they drink it themselves just in case it's poison. The cupbearer dies. The king doesn't have to, right? There's court jesters that are around just to make them laugh. There's guards. There's people that they, they protect this king and this throne. Are you with me? You're familiar with that. Maybe you watch Game of Thrones. Maybe you've certainly seen this play out. You know that this is how it works. And, and kings live in a castle. This is going to be hideous, but that's a, that's a castle, okay? There's, there's towers and things like that. I don't know. But, but just pretend the king is in a castle. And the castle, the palace, the palace is surrounded by a big wall. Every castle has a wall around it, right? Every palace has this big wall to keep out danger and to protect what's inside. The palace people, they enjoy living in the safety of these walls. They enjoy living in, in the prosperity of the throne and the castle and all it represents. And the interesting thing is, the closer you get to the king, the safer you feel because your needs are met, you live at a higher level of luxury. The closer you get, the less vulnerable you are. But then there's these people that live out here called peasants. And uh, this is where most of humanity has lived. In the days of kings and kingdoms and things like that, we still have those in some parts of the world. Most people are peasants. Fewer people are in here. Most people are out here. And the peasants are the ones that are the most vulnerable. 
They're most vulnerable to attack. If someone is going to come and try to take over this kingdom, they're going to kill everyone on the peripheral first before they try to attack what's inside the walls. They, they find themselves to be the most vulnerable, scrapping every day, trying to find food to eat, working their hands to the bone just to scrape together a living, not knowing how their family is going to eat the rest of the week. They're not, they don't have stuff in storage. They don't have stockpiled bank accounts. They're, they're more day-to-day. They're more week-to-week. Uh, they're just trying to survive and get by out here, these, these peasants. But when Jesus walked on this earth, he talked about a different kind of kingdom. The way he talked about kings and kingdoms, it was, it was peculiar. It was, very, it was very different. He said things like, the kingdom of heaven is near. Not far away, not like you're on the outside and it's on the inside and it's just privilege for special people. He said, the kingdom of heaven is, is near. It's like just beyond what you can see. It's like right here among us, Jesus said. He said things like the kingdom is about good news. Good news for everybody. Not certain privileged people who sit on thrones or who are inside the palace. He said that the kingdom is good news for all kinds of people. He said that God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That if you're poor and you realize that you need this God, you're actually part of this kingdom. He said that anyone who obeys his teachings will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He said that When he prayed to the Father, he said, May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He also said that in his kingdom, the last will be first and the first will be last. In essence, he flipped this kingdom upside down. He turned this normal kingdom that we're familiar with in this world, he turned it inside out. And it's as if he's saying, you know what, even though right now the peasants, the people that don't have as much, feel the most vulnerable physically, and they are, the irony is that the closer you get to the throne, to the inside, to to trying to be the king yourself, to to having a bunch of stuff, the closer you get to, to not being as vulnerable in the physical, the more vulnerable you get in the spiritual. The more vulnerable you get, the more stuff that you have, the further insulated you are inside the walls. You might be safer, but you're actually more vulnerable in a spiritual and emotional sense. You know that that's true. You've been around people who have tons of stuff, but the more isolated they get, the more they're just about protecting what they have, they are more vulnerable spiritually, emotionally. They get disconnected. They have a harder time seeing their need for God. We'll talk more about the kingdom in just a second. We'll come back around and that will make sense. We're in this series called The Pursuit of Happiness. 
And we're talking, we've been talking for a number of weeks about what Jesus said about how we can actually live life to the full, that he wants you to make the most of the life he's given you. He wants you to enjoy your life and to give you abundant life. That's what he wants for you. He, he knows how it happens better than you know. So if you've missed any messages in this series, you can listen to them online or on iTunes. We're jumping into the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says this in verse 34 of chapter 6. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Today, we're talking about worry. And some of you are already anxious just hearing those words. <laughs> worry, I looked it up in dictionary.com. The definition of worry is to torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts. Dictionary.com. To torment oneself with disturbing thoughts. That's what worry is. Worry and anxiety. Did you know that when you justify anxiety, when you are living with this undercurrent of anxiety in your life, you are choosing to torment yourself. Anxiety is worrying about what may or may not happen, right? And at the base, at the root of it, are deep-seated fears. Now, some of you, don't check out. If you're, if you're someone you're hearing, you're like, I don't, I don't have anxiety problems. No, no, no. All of us can relate to having some kind of deep fear. It, it, it hits home for everybody here. When I was at, uh, when I played volleyball at USC, I, I'm going to tell you an illustration that I know is silly. I want it to be silly, okay? I, I got to play volleyball at USC, and ironically, it was the most anxious time of my life. I'm playing a ball sport, at a great university, and I'm scared to death. Because my whole life up until that point, I was the best in my high school and whatever, and I was good at it. And slowly my identity became about volleyball. And for me, volleyball at USC triggered anxiety in me that was rooted in deep fears, like the biggest, most serious fears in my life, which were... Number one, letting people down. A deep fear of letting people down because I was the oldest of three boys. I was the oldest of 11 grandkids. I had talents and accolades and things like that and praise growing up and I just felt like I'm, I don't want to screw it up. I'm the example setter. I don't want to mess this up and I had this deep-seated fear of letting people down. The other fear that I had is not being great at anything, right? Not being special, not being significant, not being noticed, not reaching my potential. Those two fears, volleyball at USC triggered anxiety for me because all of a sudden I wasn't the best anymore. And all of a sudden as the setter, the person who gets the pass and sets, I'm responsible for so much like a quarterback of what happens that all these guys who are bigger, stronger, faster, more talented than me are depending on me. And I was so anxious. I would wake up in the morning, practice might not be for eight hours, and I was already sweating and nervous. It was terrible. It was silly looking back on it, but that was my 18, 19, 20-year-old world. I just, I was so anxious every day 
because of volleyball. If you've ever dealt with fear or anxiety, Jesus has some things that you and I need to hear and understand about anxiety, about worry. I'm going to show you some pictures on the screen right now. I'm going to read you some verses from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put the words on the screen. I want you to see images instead and just see what happens for you. Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 25, says, this is Jesus talking, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then this question, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can any one of you, by worrying, add anything to your experience of life? Worry is an exercise in futility. It does nothing good for you. It never creates progress. It often paralyzes. And Jesus is saying, these birds, I take care of them. Don't you know I'll take care of you? He goes on. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even King Solomon in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into fire, how much more will he clothe you? And in this phrase, you of little faith. Look at these flowers. They just Flowers just hang out, don't they? I mean, they're just, they're just there growing and they're just facing up, taking in the warmth and the heat the sun provides, taking the rain from the sky through the soil, taking nourishment that way. They just trust. They don't know how they even got there. But they're just beautiful and they just do what flowers do. They're not overthinking this whole thing about what might happen in a terrible storm or whatever. They're just, they're just there doing what flowers do. And Jesus says, how much more? The God who created all of that, all living things that you see, how much more will he take care of you? And then he says these words. This is Jesus, remember. You have little faith. You have little faith. What do we know about faith? The Bible teaches us that faith is believing what you cannot see, believing what you cannot yet see, believing that God is good, that he is doing good, that he is working out something good for your life, even if you can't see it today, that good is coming, that he will resolve this issue, that he will bring hope, that he will bring beauty, even if you're in a tough time. That is faith. What is worry? Worry is literally envisioning and picturing the worst case scenario. 
It's trying to put images in your mind of what might happen that's bad, that's negative. The opposite of the good and the beauty that God wants to do and that God can work any situation and bring good from, instead of visualizing that, worry and anxiety produce the opposite effect and we focus on the potential negative, the downside. Have you ever heard the term worried sick? Yeah, you're worrying yourself sick, literally. You're driving, you're torturing yourself and probably the people around you. Worry does nothing good for us. And the cruel reality of it is that most things that we worry about never actually even happen. But the things that we worry about that do happen, maybe, maybe our worry and our anxiety and our focus helped bring them into being. If I tell myself, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic, as I feel like red coming up my neck and face, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. I'm actually encouraging panic. Where focus goes, energy flows. Have you heard that saying? The more you focus on it, the more you draw attention to it, the more likely that you're helping to bring that thing about. Maybe, as a parent, this is a big one. I know this is a big one as, a, as parents, some of you. Single people, I'm going to get to you, don't worry. But as, <laughs> as, as parents, when we brought Jack home for the first time, it was sobering. It was like, oh my gosh, don't break this. You know, I mean, what do we do? What do we do? We're punk kids. Like, how are we supposed to take care of a human life? And Hillary was telling me earlier that, that she didn't sleep the first night because she was so afraid of what would happen. Just wanted to, like, watch and check every 15 minutes. Is he alive? Is he okay? Is this... Which is okay. There's a, there's a rational, responsible thing that happens when we're parents. But if we let that continue to play out, Here's what happens. We go from responsible parenting to trying to control. Not trusting that this is actually God's kid. We just make it about us and we see how much can we control under our supervision because we're so afraid and anxious about what bad might happen out there in this big bad world. And they're going to make bad decisions because I made bad decisions and because this world is terrible. And so we control and we control and we control and I don't want them to do the things that I did. And so let's just get them more, more Christian education. Let's just go with more, more insight. Let's just fill their head with more stuff. And, and, and then that will work and that will be good. But you know what your kids, you know what our kids are growing up really looking for? Does this Jesus thing work? Is this real? Does this work? And we can fill their heads with all kinds of stuff, and that's fine, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what it is, if putting parameters and influencing and spoon-feeding and all this stuff, if that's the main thing, we're going to miss it. Because what they're looking for is, is it working for you? Are you full and alive? What I hear about, this, this fruit of being connected to Jesus, am I seeing love? In your life? Am I seeing joy in you? Am I seeing peace in your life? Because if not, the way that they're living looks a whole lot better and it has less rules and restrictions. I'm going to try that. Does Jesus work? You can't control that. You have to live it. Those of you who are not married yet, it's your turn. 
You're asking yourself all the time, don't screw up this date, 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 don't screw up this date. I'm getting older. God, have you forgotten me? Is there anyone for me? I'm at that, I'm, I'm beyond, I'm not, it's not there, but I'm not, I'm not here anymore either. And I got, don't screw this up. And what happens when you say, don't screw up this date, don't screw up this date, don't screw up this date? You get awkward. <laughs> you do. My wife, Hillary, her, her physical demonstration for awkwardness is this. It's like, uh, 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 robotic, because that's what happens. We paralyze ourselves with worry and anxiety and we get robotic and it becomes awkward instead of being free and who God has designed you to be and trusting that he's got this under control, it's going to be okay. If he can keep these birds alive and feeding them every day, you don't see them stockpiling worms for a bad economy, you know? They just trust and eat and the flowers are beautiful. Then you know what the most beautiful thing is? confidence in who God designed you to be and whose you are. You show up that way, not having to, don't screw this date up. You will be just fine. Worry is not serving you. It is holding you captive. Jesus continues, verse 31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the people who don't follow God, they run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. According to historians and social scientists, Jesus is primarily talking to peasants. The bulk of the people in this crowd that Jesus is speaking to on this little mountainside are peasants. He knows that there are some palace types that are in the crowd, but by and large, they're peasants who are struggling day after day, working and sweating and trying to just make ends meet. They're trying to just get enough food for their family for this week. And he's telling them, you don't have to be afraid. Even you do not have to worry because my kingdom is an inside-out kingdom. God is on the throne, and he's got this. The peasant anxiety is that they don't have power. That's the peasant anxiety. I have no power. What's going to happen to me? Everything is spinning out of control. i gotta, I got to somehow try to get some power. The palace anxiety, they have the power. They're always trying to protect it. People want my power. They want my stuff. They're always after me for something. i got to protect the thing that I have. And if I can, I want to get a little bit closer to the throne. i got to improve my status a little bit. There's anxiety in both places. And Jesus is saying, forget all that. You're missing the point. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Notice the word he intentionally uses. Your heavenly Father. There's an identity shift here from kingdoms and peasants and palaces to your father. The king is dad, and he knows that you need these things. Just like a father and a child, he loves to take care of you. Jesus says in another place in Matthew, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what the antidote for worry is? Childlike trust. Unless you change and become like a child, 
You're not going to get his inside-out kingdom. But if you, if you will trust, just like my two-year-old, just like your kids, he, Jack doesn't, he's not thinking about whether or not I'm going to put pants on him tomorrow. He doesn't, he doesn't care. He just shows up, wakes up, eats what's put in front of him sometimes, and, and, and wears clothes usually. I mean, he, he's not thinking about these things. And Jesus is intentionally simplifying your life and trying to get you to think like a child and saying, will you trust your heavenly Father? You can trust him. You can trust him like a dad from a peasant pursuing the palace to a child of the king that is already who you are he's the king what are we afraid of what are we afraid of dad is on the throne. He's the king of kings. He's the king of all the universe. He has all the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the purse strings. It's not this kind of scarcity economy that he operates in. He has everything. And he says, I'm your dad. I will take care of you. You can trust me. Don't be anxious about all these things. Don't fill your life just with this underlying anxiety that now you don't even notice anymore. It's just become your normal. You can be free. You can be childlike. You can trust your father. If I was putting that verse into a statement, into an action statement, I might say, I will change and become more childlike. I will change and become more childlike. That's the first part of the secret to eliminating worry from our life. And then look what this last verse says, verse 33. Jesus says, seek first, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. Look at those four first words in that verse. But seek first. When you say but, but is a great word, right? Because it, it suggests that everyone else is doing one thing. Everyone else is following this paradigm of some people are in and some people are out. These people are vulnerable. These people think they're not vulnerable, but they actually are vulnerable. Everyone else is playing this game, but not you. Not you. You don't have to play this game. This isn't relevant to you anymore. But seek, which is a focus. That's where you direct your energy. That's where you direct your attention. You're focusing not on this game, not on you trying to get your own throne, but focus instead. Seek instead his first, his kingdom. First is just priority, right? Whatever is in the first position is what matters most to you. Whatever you do first, whatever you spend on first, whatever your firsts are, that's what really matters most to you. First, seek first his kingdom. Not this game, not your throne, not your own little mini kingdom that you've built for yourself over time that's cool and great and sustains your family and that's nice. Seek first his kingdom. If I was going to put all of that into an action statement, I might say, I will change and become more childlike, putting my trust in my heavenly Father, who happens to be the king. 
of all kings, of all worlds, of all galaxies, of maybe an infinite universe, the king. And I get to call him dad. What does that look like? How does that play out? Well, for one, it's just reaffirming constantly the truth. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. Just like I have a kid or I want a kid, I, I have a heavenly father that cares for me even more than my earthly parents could possibly. And he's taking care of me and affirming that over and over again because I know some of us, anxiety, it's just always right there. It's just right at the surface where there's just an anxiousness in many of our lives. So it's affirming the truth time and time again. And then perhaps some of you really just need to hang out with little kids to, to really get this. It's not just rhetoric. Jesus actually wants you to live more like a kid in your trust and your dependence on him. Not thinking that you have to build palaces and live in castles and sit on thrones and protect all the things that you've amassed over time. Your dad's the king. Why worry about anything? Now, I know that for some of us, this hits really uncomfortably close to home because worry is a major, major issue in your life. And for some of you, you might be mad thinking that I'm oversimplifying it. I get that our bodies are this big bag of hormones and chemicals. I get that there's some of those things that maybe you have been figuring out or fighting for a long time. I talked with one of my good friends after this last service who is a stud and projects such strength, and he said to me, I don't talk about this, but I have serious anxiety. And I get that that's where some of us live, but I will tell you, at the root of it, it's an identity issue. There might be some other stuff, and it might be a long journey for some of us, but for some of us, it could change like this because it is an identity issue, and once you really get it and believe and keep reaffirming yourself when you forget and stop believing that you are a child of the king of the universe who feeds every single bird and clothes every single flower and knows how many hairs are on your head and owns all the money and all the cattle, all the resources. He owns it all, and he's your dad. Why would you be afraid? Why would we worry? Why would we tolerate an underlying anxiety to pollute our joy from this life. God, would you continue to draw us to yourself, to show us how much you love us, like kids on our dad's knee, that you take care of us, that you love to bless your children. Allow us to know you more. Allow us to trust you more. Free us from fear, worry, and anxiety as we look to you. In Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.